0: Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Hi, my name is Viviana Aqua and I call myself the inclusive workplace wellness advocate. And for those of you who are meeting with meeting up with me for the first time or following me recently, I shared a post yesterday about who am I, my some of my fun facts. You might be able to see my son, you might not be able to see my son. I don't know. Sometimes he pops in and pops out, but I did not have a conversation with him, but my son Alondo is the main reason why I am having this conversation about let's humanize the workplace. So if you haven't never met me or connect with me on LinkedIn or whatever, uh, just know that I am a very tall giant. Yes, I'm six foot one tall, one meter 86 without the heels. And there's so much more that you can learn about me. But if you want to know more, please look at my LinkedIn profile. I also want to address something, and that is the following. When I see companies making commitments, when I see companies making, uh, let's say that they are sharing their goals, I have a hint. I have a tip, a free tip that is make the goal or the commitment smart, as you would do the same with your yearly goals, your yearly business goals, your yearly client goals, your your yearly let's say your year revenue goals, right? The revenue, you make it specific, you make it measurable, you make it achievable, you make it realistic and timely. But I also want you to think about the extra T. So make it smart by adding the transparency in it. So be transparent about the commitments, about your goals so that people will feel less inclined to maybe cancel in or cancel out, you never know. I mean, I can never control that, but offer your transparency so that they can see what you're working on and so that they can trust you and support you maybe with your goals. That's it. If you have also other questions about what to do, where to go, or how to strategize, know that I have a game plan available. Uh, it's a free strategy call that you can have with me. So it's bitly viva call. But today, today I have amazing guests and I wanted to talk about fear because apparently there is this unknown thing out there and a lot of people are tiptoe tiptoeing around diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, I am talking it from, I'm sharing the insights from a European lens, but I also have to bring in my brother and my sisters from the States as well so that they can share their lens as well. So I'm bringing them in right now and also sharing their bio. So first of all, Matthew Reynolds uh, now finds himself advocating for equity within the arts education spaces, and he loves helping uh, others live their biggest life and brightest life. And I guess, Matthew, you are in Hawaii, right? That is correct. Yes. <laughs> Nat- Natty Fantastic is a holistic EDI educator coach who helps organizations with redefining values, systems, and that nourish anti-oppression practices. And I believe, Natty, you are from Texas, right? No, West Coast oh, of Canada. West Coast. West Coast of Canada. Thank you. Thank you. And Rhonda, I you have to share it because then now I'm lost, right? Rhonda Williams is a leadership coach who helps leaders and organizations create stress-free cultures while empowering leaders to stop the madness. Welcome all. And Rhonda, where are you calling in from? I am
1: from Texas. I am dialing in from Texas. Oh,
0: te- you were from Texas. Okay, okay. My apologies, my apologies. But even so, I'm so... Delighted to see you all on this on this show and on this episode. And I already have somebody saying she loves it. So, okay. Anna, thank you for, Anna, for sharing. Smart. Please use that. Please use this acronym to help your people to move the needle when it comes to creating DEI goals. But first of all, Nadi, what do, why do we need to humanize the workplace?
2: I love this question. My dog's mm-hmm. here too. She might pop her head up. (laughs) For me, I think we need to humanize the workspace because we've got like multi generations of folks out there who grew up in spaces that dehumanize and depersonalize the black and brown experience and the LGBTQ2S plus experience. So we have I think it, we have to work extra, extra hard at doing it because we've got all of this generational stuff behind us of people who have just normalized the dehumanization of our lived experience.
0: Yeah. And also realizing that what you what you said every time that somebody adds a layer. So you mentioned uh the people with uh with a black you know black skin right. You also mentioned when they uh are from the LGBTQ community. Each time that a different layer is added, that can also mean that there is a barrier added in the workplace, and that's where I also believe in what you're saying. We need to humanize the workspace now more than now more than ever. Thank you, yeah, Maddie. Absolutely, Rhonda.
1: So, I love this question also. And mm-hmm. the simple answer is because we're human. Mm. Yes. Because we are all humans and we are human beings and we need to be, move away from being human doings, right? Just caught up in stuff. Just because it's the workplace doesn't mean that we get to leave our humanity behind. It's so important, I think, for everyone to understand that when you bring yourself to the workplace, you are at your core an emotional being. Mm. And one of the things that I love is emotional intelligence. So we can get into that, go down that rabbit hole a little bit later, but because we are all emotional beings, it matters how we treat each other. It matters how we talk to each other. It is not nearly just enough to show up and get a paycheck. Those days are gone. We are beyond that. And people are expecting more. And the times that we are in demands more from all of us today.
0: I have no words to say because I'm just soaking your words in. And the fact that you mentioned something that is very important to realize that um, for the organizations, for the managers out there, know that there is you know, a new generation standing up that is demanding diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they are inspiring the next generation or the generation before them to really advocate for that, to really make sure that the company that you work for has all these ingredients in place to create that whole self in the, bringing your whole self to the workplace and not feeling ashamed about where you're from, who you are and what you have to get to share in the company. So I love that. Thank you, Rhonda. Matthew.
3: Yes. Um, thank you for, for this space and for this question. Uh, it's a really important question. Recently I've been reading a book by Dr. Floyd, um, Webb and John Crown Apple, uh, mm-hmm. Belonging through a culture of dignity, and so this idea that you know, and they come at, at it from a place of education and how we've put achievement um, before belonging for yeah. our. And so, when I've been reading this book and going through a workshop with John Cronapple, I've been looking around and knowing that this um, conversation was coming up, and really looking at the fact that with colonialism, with slavery, with chattel slavery. All of these things have slowly taken humanity out of how we used to take care of each Mm -hmm. other in a community or tribal setting. And now we have these these places that, oh, I'm going to go work here and I'm going to work there, but we're not really helping the community grow. We are putting and amassing wealth into certain people's pockets is what we're doing. Exactly. where it's really truly dehumanizing it. So I think if we're going to really look at it, it's not necessarily humanizing the workplace. It's helping humanity come back to humanity, helping it to really see each other's humanity, see each other's dignity, honor each other's dignity, and move that idea forward, and then I think we'll really see the way in which these structures of workplaces, et cetera, et cetera, start to shift, and how they really start to feed and give back to humanity instead of just extrapolating from, you know, our souls. at time, you know, you hear people time and time again saying this job is sucking the energy out of my soul, and it's like, well where would that statement come from and mm-hmm. you know and so i think it's important for us to look at that aspect of yeah. the workplace
0: and Is it's that... also important because we just when just before we started we were having a conversation about you know the american lens or the american view on dei and the european view on dei and what you said right now also applies in europe even though a lot of people think Yes, we are, in some ways, we are progressive, progressive, especially the Netherlands, and just to give you a hint, the marketing regarding the Netherlands, so our flowers, the red light, red light district, and all the other things that you, you have heard about the Netherlands and Amsterdam, yes, it's true. But that doesn't mean that all the people that are living here in the Netherlands are treated equally, are treated, included, are being, you know, seen for the talents that they have because they are being hindered just by having a different ethnicity. They are being hindered just by having a different gender. They are being hindered just by having a different partner. So that bubble, let me burst that bubble right now. There are, There are companies in the Netherlands or in Europe that are working towards inclusion, that are working towards belonging, but it's still real. The frustration, the pain, the hurt, it's still real. So depending on who you are talking to, depending on who you are asking the questions and also depending on what medium you're reading, right? Because if you're believing the article about the UK, where the UK is supposed to be the role model of inclusive workplaces, where there is no racism, let me burst that bubble. Every country has some kind of ism. Every every country has some kind of exclusionism. And every country has some kind of dehumanization. That's, that's, that's as real as it gets. But we can all collectively work towards that ideal human-esque workplace. So going, going back to, <laughs> thank you, going back to the first, uh, the, the next question, and that is uh, Rhonda, I will start with you. Can you share one reason why people in the workplace fear talking about DEI? Oh wow! Okay, I'll try <laughs> not to get on my soapbox about
1: this one, and I will try not to be a, a mic, you know, hogger mm-hmm. or whatever at this point. But so here's the thing, right? So what is fear? Fear is simply an emotion, and what are emotions? Emotions are our greatest path to information. They tell us things about ourselves. They tell us things that we may not even know. If I'm walking mm-hmm. down the street and I see a tiger and I jump, I don't need to think about that, right? Myself knows, hey, he's not supposed to be there. He's not supposed to be this close to you. So you should probably run, right? That's instinctive. So we have to understand that for every emotion that we experience, that it is giving us information. When we're talking about the workplace and DEI, I really love this question because it's it's multi-layered. Mm -hmm. right? So there is fear um, specifically for me, right? When we are talking about difference in the workplace, what does that mean for me? What if I can't relate to this person? What if I don't understand them? What if I say the wrong things, right? So we've got all of this stuff happening inside of us. Then we've got the organizational perspective happening as well, you know, sort of the boys club, the girls club, the whatever club that you are into that you feel safe and comfortable and cozy in, what happens when someone other than someone who looks like you enters that space? It's a little scary, right? When I think about executives and board uh, boardrooms uh, without a lot of diversity, I think of What's the fear there? The fear Mm -hmm. is, will I be able to still say what I want to say? Will I be able to say it this way? Is someone then going to get too emotional and take me the wrong way? And there are all of these different dynamics happening. So when we're talking about fear, I think the other piece of it to bring in is as a leader, do I know how to lead this conversation? Yeah. I know how to do so in a way that's culturally sensitive and that brings humanity to everyone. If I don't now I'm fearful of that. So I think when we talk about fear, there are multi-levels in this. It's a multi-faceted thing. And so it starts with your own level of awareness. And I can go on about this all day. So I know this isn't clubhouse, my
0: <laughs> name is Rhonda and I'm done speaking. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to just what you said, there are so many layers uh, upon, you know, to share with the audience, but I'll I'll keep it simple. Especially in regards to leaders, if you fear about saying the wrong thing or maybe saying something or not, you know, not standing in front of the mirror, if you fear of it standing in front of the mirror because somebody's upholding that mirror and showing you what they see in your reflection instead of what you see in your reflection, I know. I know it can be messy, right? If you see an unevenness on your face, you don't like it, but there's an opportunity for you to do something about it and to, I wouldn't say take care. I would say try to create a vibe or an environment where people can be themselves and can feel that they can share something that is happening to them. Mm -hmm. I see so many people running away, leaving companies because they address the situation. And then nobody does anything about that. So thank you, Mm -hmm. Matthew.
3: (laughs) All right then, all right then, all right then. Let's just bring on on the heat. Let's on in. So, whose definition of fear are we using, Mm. and what construct is this fear coming from? So here in the United States, in my judgment, fear is being utilized with the right to comfort. So I'm supposed to be entitled to comfort, and I am supposed to be able to be comfortable. Why am I wearing this mask? Why can't I go on January 6th to the state capitol and try to convert, you know, throw this revolution on, on America? Because I have this right to comfort. I can go out there and do these things. And so I'm fearful of the fact that my comfort will be taken away. And so then when we look at this aspect of fear, when we're in the workplace, it's like, well, then now let's throw in whose definition of power are we using? Whose Mm -hmm. definition of success are we using? Whose definition of, you know, climbing this ladder are we using? All these different things and variables are so convoluted. And they all come from this construct of the dominant white culture, the whiteness, that that is what we're supposed to as- uh, ascribe to that that is the be all and end all i'm supposed to get there and then everything is supposed to be all right and so a lot of this fear is false it doesn't even really truly exist because it's coming from this idea and this construct that takes away my humanity gives mm-hmm. it- Bodied person tells me that they're more powerful, so I've got to hustle even harder to achieve the things that they have. And we have to understand how we've internalized that, how ingested that indoctrination, and how it comes back out of us again and allows these things to happen. Now, the fear of a white body person is that that power will be taken away, that the Mm -hmm. that they don't even some don't even understand is even there is going to be taken away, and then we throw a little Paulo Freire in there. Pedagogy of the oppressed and the ideas of, oh, I have done some atrocities or I've sat back and watched some atrocities happen to black and brown bodies. What if they get some power and then do the same thing back to me? And now I'm really afraid. Now I really can't give them power because what if they act just like me? And then that fear is like fed on so many various levels. And once again, it goes back to this. this idea of what we've ingested, what we've been indoctrinated mm-hmm. into, and it's sitting dormant, it goes beyond implicit bias. This is internalized racial oppressions from a black and brown body or from a white body perspective or crossing over because we, we were underneath this umbrella of whiteness and that everything is supposed to be that, that black and brown bodies ingest some of those ideas of superiority and not yeah. just superiority and then it gets all kinds of messy inside there. So this fear when you talk about it having levels and different like um faces to it, it's multifaceted. And yeah. it's like how do we start to pick that apart and get It the, seems
0: the... it seems like fear has its own intersectionality in this whole <laughs> in, in all these layers, right? That's that's basically what you're sharing right now. And when it comes to the fear, who defines it, who is addressing it and also there will be a day. that's that's something that I really want to highlight. There will be a day in the time. In the Netherlands, it will be 2050, so 2050 that the demographic will shift from being the predominantly white you know white folks or white people here in the Netherlands. it will shift it will shift then. then, And in the States, I think it's sooner than that, right? It's sooner than that where you are dealing, where you have more different ethnicities than the majority that is in there now. And that's something that you really should be thinking about, especially when you want your company to be sustainable, not only exist for the upcoming five years, but exists beyond, you know, the 50 years that you want to come. You're losing clients if you don't do it now. Thank you Matthew. Thank you. That was that was a that was a tough dish that you served. A tough dish. Yes. Naddy.
2: Matthew serving up abolition. I love it. I love it. That's liberation, <laughs> baby. That's what we're talking about. It's like, ooh, what happens when we all join forces you Mm. know (laughs) super super important part i think when it comes to fear like if we were to get right underneath of it and that human base of it you know it's that fear humans white-bodied humans especially those experience who grew up within white whiteness and the characteristics of they hate to feel uncomfortable Mm
3: -hmm. like matthew
2: said it leans into that right we do too we, we hate, everybody hates to feel uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's a terrible feeling. Yeah. And when we feel uncomfortable, what do humans want to do when they feel uncomfortable? They want to jet, they want to yeah. go. They don't want to join the conversation anymore. And if they sit in the conversation a little bit more, I talk about this in my work, then what can happen is we start to trigger, like you said, the intersectionality of fear, the blame, the shame, the guilt, then we start to go into like deep EQ stuff that if people don't have that emotional intelligence to tolerate, associate, process these things mm-hmm. in themselves, then they're in like an actual panic state. Yeah. So here they are in a workplace environment and a normal conversation comes up to discuss DEI. And if someone doesn't have the competency to discuss it, then, they just, then they're triggering fear, blame, shame, and guilt. And they're in this place where they can't, there's no, there is no productivity that can happen in that space. And I love that you brought up like looking in the mirror and looking in the mirror and being like, this is uncomfortable. And I don't really like what I see it. That's the, like, that's your checklist that says you've got work to do yeah you know what 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 are the holes in your competency what are the pockets what is short that you need to fill you know is it that your team doesn't fully understand oppression is it that your team doesn't really understand pronouns is it like what part of it is uncomfortable you need to lean back and educate yourself and your people to fill that void so that the next time it comes up there isn't this fear of discussing it there is a competency and ability to sort of step to the gates and be like all right let's talk about this
0: you know, with when positivity. you were talking, when you were talking, I, I'm weird. So please bear with me. I'm a nerd. I, I shared that already, but I went into my zone of X-Men. There is one of these characters that when they touch somebody, they can sense, they can see, I think it's Xavier, right? He can see the past and how somebody lived in. I wish that You know, sometimes when we have conversations regarding the hurt and the pain and how, you know, you're you're excluding other people and how you make other people feel. I wish that there was an opportunity for other people to sense just a tweak Mm. of what people are feeling, what they are facing, because then you would realize that it might be your son or it might be your granddaughter or it might be your your partner who is dealing with these challenges. And how would you feel? How would you feel if they were excluded from this whole from this whole thing that you're creating, right? How would you feel?
1: Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a really important point. And both uh, Matthew and Nadi touched on the discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So think about how we breed that. We mm-hmm. we raise people to not be uncomfortable ever, right? If your child falls down, what do you do? You try to fix it? Oh my goodness, yeah. are you? Hey, you know, you're trying to make the hurt go away. So from the time that we are very young, we teach each other not to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Realizing that all the growth and magic for us as adults happens outside of the comfort zone. Yeah. But yet this entire time we are saying, don't be uncomfortable. So we are raising folks often without a key competency. Mm-hmm. And that is the ability to navigate and manage through your discomfort, right? Yeah. That's such an important point that that you both raised. and you know, and then how do we close that gap gap and how do we get from there from here to there? Why is that different in people of color versus in white America? Well, it's different hmm. because inherently in terms of who we are, We are uncomfortable always, right? So that's a skill set that we just live with. We don't even need to talk about it. We just know it is what it is, right? You just look
0: at the person and you know, right? I was just having a conversation with a client and they were telling me, and I was saying to them, I see your face. Your Mm -hmm. face does not match with what you're saying. So cut the bullshit and tell me the real thing. That's it. And (laughs) then they started to share. Yeah, true. Exactly, real real talk. yeah, exactly. So, so going I, on to, yeah.
3: Really quickly? Yeah, you do. Yeah. Okay. The fourth chapter in my book is called Fail, First mm-hmm. Attempt Learning. And so mm-hmm. the idea is uh, we teach our, not only do we teach them not to be comfortable in our education system, we also tell them not to look at the path, just to look at the prize. Keep your eye on the prize, right?
0: hmm
3: are this make sure that the you're passing these things that you've achieved these standards etc etc and once you've achieved those things then you can belong to our school culture
0: Hmm.
3: and teaching the students to like i'm sorry if i'm getting really loud (laughs) (laughs) students to like look at what is happening along the way Mm -hmm. the things that i should be looking at because that's true learning and growth is, is getting there and if i get to this path i get to this path you know but sometimes those learnings along the way might take me someplace else. And that is okay, but we yeah. don't teach that. We say, you have to keep these blinders on and achieve that test score or whatever that is. But there's all this rich nourishment of failing and that first attempt in learning and all the things that I can learn from that to actually get me to what I'm trying to achieve. And with that, I'm complete. Thank you.
0: No, you're not because I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> What can leaders do to remove the DEI-related fear? So one thing, each one thing, what can they do to remove the fears within their teams?
3: (sighs) Model for their teams. Mm -hmm. Do it themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What do they need to do? Model? How do model. you model? Because when when I think about modeling, I think about the runway. So maybe <laughs> you know, maybe be a little bit p- specific. What can they model
3: instead of thinking about New York Fashion Week? You brought on, right on, right on. <laughs> at the beginning of the meeting, you know what? I have I have spoken with this uh, facilitator who we're bringing in, or mm-hmm. done this work, and I've looked at these things and share their truth and share yeah. their and this scared me. At first, I had a lot of fear around this. This was coming up for me. I saw some of these things, et cetera, et cetera, and definitely trim it in so that it goes specifically with your workplace, whatever that might be kind of thing. You can share whatever you want to, but if you truly have built inclusivity and you have a sense of belonging there, you're going to share who you are. Because you get to bring all aspects of who you are to this workplace. So as a leader, then I get to share with you how this process brought these things up within me. And of course, you don't all have to share what I'm sharing right now. But because I stand or sit in this role kind of thing, then now I'm modeling for you what I would like for you to at least be able to feel inside. You may not share it with everybody else in the circle. And it's important to be sitting in a circle so that you can see each other's face and each other's reactions and each other's emotions and not in this hierarchical sphere, right? Um, But if I'm modeling that for everybody else, then I have an opportunity now to just, here's me being really super uncomfortable right now and standing in it and recognizing that this is what I want for everybody else and to not hold other people back from doing that. Not mm. say. I'm the only one who can do this because now I'm the leader and I'm in this position and I'm supposed to be above you at all times. True leader sits in a circle with their peeps. And it's like, yeah, maybe they sign certain documents or do certain things, but they're giving that power. They're making sure that everybody else, when I was in the classroom, I used to say to my students, I want you to go further than I ever did. I want you to expand out and be your biggest and fullest and brightest. And that's what I think you can do, and that's what you can model for your your employees. With that, I love a-
0: that. Thank you, Nadie.
2: Yeah, I concur with that in that modeling sense of things. But when we're looking at you know dismantling the fear of DEI in the workplace, it's a multi part system as we've discussed. But it's got to be fear in self first. Mm. It, it all starts with self work. You know, every it's like so as the leader, where are they at in their self work and then looking at towards their team to dismantle the fear of the team having these conversations or being able to relate to this is to give them a system and a strategy that they can lean into that supports them you know and it's self work at the level of everybody on the team so they they themselves gain what they need to you know dismantle the fear of themselves and have a bigger understanding and to um, connect with the lived experience of black and brown and lgbtq2s plus folk you know, so they get that piece so they can take it apart. And then a system that actually moves them. I like to work with a dissension model with my mm-hmm. clients. It takes them from here, next step here, next step here, next step here. And we're taking them on a journey that gets to the end result, which is, okay, we removed the fears. We've discussed the barriers. We've found new barriers. We we're going to work through those barriers. Now we're going to have this consultant come in and talk about this to, do. you know, be able to help you really understand gender. Because I can see that that's a problem that our team is having right now, or we've nailed gender but we're still not really there as far as understanding indigenous um, relations kind of thing. so let's discuss that and it's just giving people a system that they can lean into and support them to dismantle these fears and not expecting it to happen like that and knowing that that it it, it ain't going to happen in a workshop it's not going to happen in a series of workshops it's going to happen with a full team training and a series of workshops and big old meetings and more meetings and, and, a, and a program that, that, that people I, can go I, I,
0: into. I always talk about when you visit the gym, I mean, I don't lose X amount of pounds by just going to visit one time at the gym. I don't grow my muscles just by visiting the gym. You need to train, you need to educate people. And also something that you, you shared uh, in your conversation, uh, Nadi, Um, a lot of leaders seem to think that they have to do the work on their own. That's not so. You can always hire one of these amazing people, myself included, and be that safe mirror, be that safe lens. Yes, you may fall. I want you to fall, but know that when you hire a coach or a consultant, they are there to support you and they are there to give you tools so that you can land safely on your feet or you know fall and and try again fall and try again it seems like the work that we do and the work that you do within DEI that it's always to be perfect it cannot be perfect perfect does not exist
2: no and it'll just keep all we're going to end up doing is rebuilding exactly what's broken Mm -hmm. If that's what we're we're trying to achieve is just make it perfect, all we're going to do is rebuild. And we have to be Michael or Matthew and I have talked about this. We have to be really cautious that what Mm -hmm. we're rebuilding isn't just the same thing we're trying to tear down, you know, and like it's, it is about giving them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree completely. Thank you.
1: Rhonda. It's a really powerful conversation. And when I think about what leaders can do, um, what I, what I teach my leaders is, Um, you've got to be curious. You've got Mm -hmm. to become curious. You have to open yourself up to asking hard hard questions, right? Not moving away from assuming that you know the answer and maybe Mm -hmm. you do and maybe you don't, but you have to give folks an opportunity to speak their truth because that's the only way that you're ever really going to know. So you've got to ask the questions. You've got to get curious. And the questions that you're asking as a leader in terms of moving the DEI conversation forward is not just about the space, but it's also about you as a leader. Mm. It's also about asking, how am I showing up for you? What do you yes. see? How, how am I engaging? How am I interacting? So it's asking the questions, the really tough, complex questions, and then creating the space with psychological safety to allow Mm. people to answer the questions. You know, in court cases, they say, don't ask questions you don't know the answers to. It's exactly the opposite in the workspace in the DEI conversation. You want to ask those questions, but then I need you to tune up your EQ. I need you to put your big boy pants on, and I need you to be open and willing to hear the answers. And then... What are you going to do with it? Right. Because when you get all that information, put your head in the sand. You say, right. You've got to do something with it. And I always say it doesn't matter what you know if yeah. it doesn't inform what you do. My name What's is Ron. I'm speaking.
0: Yes. Yes. I love that. And I also wanted to highlight what I said before was sarcasm. So what I see a lot of leaders do is put their head in the sand, thinking that if they don't hear it, like I shared before in a post, like see no evil, speak no evil. Or we, we, uh, I did a conversation a while ago. See no evil, speak no evil, and hear no uh, DEI. It was speak no DEI, hear no DEI, and hear no DEI. It's just like this thing about not believing that as long as you don't hear it, or as long as you do your best to unhear it, or unsee it, or whatever speak it, it doesn't seem to exist. In the meantime. Your clients are walking in a way. In the meantime, your stakeholders are demanding transparency, are one, willing to see you being transparent about the numbers that you have when it comes to DEI and what actions you are taking. In the meantime, let's say within 10 to 15 years, your products aren't that savvy anymore or aren't that attractive anymore because you're not tapping into DEI. How would you feel about that? Just dropping it there. I I also wanted to ask, uh, let me start with uh, Nadia again, Um, what would you say to people that say that the company isn't diverse enough and I will share some more context, because sometimes I have these challenging conversations where we have enough women. We have enough black people to black people, we have enough. We have enough trans people. We have enough LGBTQ people. We have enough XYZ dot, dot, dot.
2: Yeah. Tell me what their experience is like then. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Do you now? Tell me where they are in your leadership tier. (laughs) You know, like tell me where they are in your progress. Tell me how you're uplifting them. Tell mm. me what you've got inside your workplace that supports them. Mm. You know? Tell me what art's on your wall. What music are you playing? How are you supporting the culture of these people and not just, you know, ticking the box to say, We got our trans guy? Yeah, I question it big time. I've also never ever heard anybody say, Sorry, we're at quota now. We've got enough trans folk. I well, sorry, we're we're at quota I have, have you? Sorry, we've I hired have. enough indigenous people for our lifetime. We're good. You're like that's yeah, that's, it kind of made me feel
0: icky, actually, that question. Exactly, exactly. Well, it, this question came via via, so it wasn't directly to me. But let's say that when I heard it, I was just like, come again? What? <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. What? And also when it comes to, you know, you, you dealing with this question, exactly how many people have stayed within your company? If you look at the, the leaky pipeline, the exit, How many of them, the others that are different from the majority within your company, how many of them have left? Do you know the real reason why they left? Investigate that as well. Matthew.
3: I think you're stumbling on uh, one of the differences between European mentality when it comes to ED and I work and a uh, U.S. mentality,
0: mm-hmm.
3: right now is is panicking that they don't have enough diversity, and that's usually what a lot of folks come into the room with is that they they they're like, when I ask them when they want to hire me to help them craft their equity lens, they're like, well, we want a more diverse workforce, and I ask why.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: and they have a difficult time answering that truthfully and they start to squirm right off the bat and it's that fear comes up and so it's like i'm not asking that for you to feel uncomfortable or to Mm -hmm. blame or guilt or shame or bring any of those things in i really want you to ask yourself why and be honest with yourself with that answer and you don't have to answer me right now what i'd like to ask you now is if you brought somebody in that's diverse, how does HR handle a situation if somebody says something that's derogatory towards this person and and their diversity and who they are? Do you have the systems in place? Will they feel supported by your organization? So there's a lot of different layers then for people to look at. Whereas I think sometimes um, our European counterparts are thinking, well, we've dealt with this a long time ago. We got rid of slavery before the the United States. They started it. Yeah, we've done all these things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're at a we're at a place, we're at a pinnacle where we don't have racism, right? Um, and so I think that it's important to like look at exactly what you were talking about. Well, when you start hemorrhaging your diverse folks and they start leaving your workforce because somebody else has done the work, yeah. has looked in the mirror is putting words in their policies and procedures that they go oh I can I can feel a sense of safety a sense of belonging there mm-hmm. that's where I'm gonna work that's where I'm gonna go and work and so I will see you later you know what I mean and so <laughs> that kind of thing and that's what Gen Z is telling us Gen Z is telling us time and time again right Natty Gen Z is like no we are not going to settle for this. We are not going to do the things. And how dare you say that it's complicated? that why are you making this all so complicated and da 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 da. my sense of belonging, my importance, yeah, of, my authenticity is yeah. not complicated. It's yeah. my truth. And so if you want to label it as such, then yes, you are not somebody I want to work for. Once again, bye bye.
0: Yeah, and that's what you see. They they vote with their feet, right? They are leaving companies, and then all of a sudden they are being labeled as challenging, difficult, a bratty, whilst they have common sense because they left a company that is not worth fighting for, is not putting their values in a human perspective. So I, I totally get that. I totally get that, and thank you for sharing that, Matthew. Rhonda, and they're the
2: future. If I could just yeah. jump in and say, and they're mm-hmm. the future.
0: So everything
2: that we're seeing with millennials yeah. that open the gates to what they mm. will and will not tolerate, and yeah. the Gen Zs who the gates are wide open and they will not tolerate, they will leave. This is the future. This is only going to get bigger. Yeah. So you know that that problem for some org- in or industries and organizations where they you know they're not inclusive, so folks don't stay. That problem has to be fixed because it's going to yeah. become normal. It, it's normalizing.
0: I do have to plug in. I don't know if if you have Netflix please watch coded bias and if you haven't seen it please watch it and if you haven't if you don't have netflix find a friend who has netflix and watch it together because that is very scary how fear and ai come together and how it works against the others how people are being excluded with that so please watch coded bias on netflix because it's a very interesting perspective and also scary perspective of how people of color, for instance, are being excluded and being not seen. And read the book,
2: yeah, read the book, Algorithms of Oppression. Mm, Incredible book. I think it's based, I think it's probably part of the same network, but yeah, a powerful book.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really, um, you know, when I think about do we have enough, I tend to want to back up because my focus is always on intention versus accidents. Mm-hmm. So did these folks just land in your organization? Like were they beamed down? Like, forgive me, I'm a Star Trek fan. Okay. I do a lot of beaming, <laughs> moving around. So, you know, did they just beam in? Is this an accident or was Even it Star Trek is diverse? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> very, very, right. Or was it an intentional cultivation? Mm. Are you cultivating yeah. your environment and preparing it? Just like you would tend your soil getting ready for the garden. Um, I had a gentleman um, reach out to me. We were doing a Clubhouse uh, conversation about DEI. And this gentleman reached out and said, hey, I have a tech company and um, I heard you on Clubhouse. And I'm ashamed to say we're not very diverse.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
1: would like to be more diverse. I would like to be mindful of that as we go forward. And so my first question for him was, to Matthew's point was, why? Mm. why? Yeah. Why do you want to do that? But then it was, you know, where are you looking for your folks and what's in place once they get there? I said to him, I will not refer someone to you if you don't have the environment to support them. Yeah. And so what does that look like? What conversations are you having with your team? So you've got to be sure. And, and then it is you might have folks uh, diversity at the staff level. What's your your mid management level? Because honestly, that's where a lot begin to sort of go through that leaky pipeline, the mid-management mm-hmm. level. When you get to the executive and the senior level, oh my goodness, we don't have enough time to talk about the lack of diversity at that level.
0: I mean, you in the States have. I know that the percentage is very low when it comes to people of color in <laughs> uh, in the board seats. We got but versus, versus Europe, where we don't have any? Yeah, it's, but you know what? Uh, it's, so there are
1: degrees, right? Mm-hmm. We know at the C suite level, we know that there are pro- approximately 20% women at the C suite level. When you go to women of color, it goes down to like 4%. So when we're talking diversity, it's all the way up through the organization. And then mm-hmm. let's talk about board level. Diversity yeah. that's a whole different challenge, so you go to divorce left so it's it's um up and down, but it's also at your supply chain and your suppliers and like you've got to be bringing it in all around. you cannot say you have checked one box and you have made significant progress. You have started a conversation maybe. But there is so much more work to do uh, beyond that when you're looking at the diversity in your organization. And the culture and belonging is absolutely critical because if you don't create
0: that space, it doesn't matter who you bring in. They're only going to go out the other side. Exactly. And I love the fact that you mentioned that, you know, you have to also look at the, challenge your stakeholders, challenge the partners that you're working with. And I think it was Coca-Cola who made an announcement saying that, we are only going to work with law firms that have a certain percentage of diversity that the diversity. If they don't, then they are able to deduct 40% of their invoice of the lawyer's invoice, because they can, you know, invest it in somewhere else. I think that's the way to go to challenge other stakeholders, to challenge partners, to challenge clients, to challenge suppliers that, you don't want to work, your your company has, let's say that, that you are doing your best to create a, an environment of belonging. How would you feel if you work with a partner or with a supplier that is messing things up, that is ending up in the news, or you hear a lot of things on social media where it's making you not, you know, you don't want to associate yourself with a company that is dealing with a lot of mess. Think about that. And look at what Coca Cola did regarding that. In a way, it's also a way for you to, you know, to, to uh, negotiate discount, right? If they don't have diversity, negotiate a discount. Maybe that way they will feel some kind of urge to really include inclusion in on their menu. Yeah. What did you say, Rhonda? I saw you, your lips moving, but I not Yeah, I, I was talking to myself and might be oh. the whole,
1: maybe I beamed myself somewhere. I don't know. But no, I was just saying that I love that. I think it's really important for us yeah. to use our leverage and even exactly. more than our voice. When yeah. we're talking about the corporate environment and organization, we know that money speaks, money talks, mm. and yeah. that is what they listen to and care about. So if you could figure out how to leverage that and have a financial hit, Uh, Mm -hmm. For organizations that are not stepping up in the diversity realm, you will get their attention quickly.
0: Exactly, exactly. I had such an amazing time and we are at the end of our last question that I want to share. And I want to start with Matthew. So let's say it's April, it's almost May. I feel like the year can, we can skip 2021 and go towards 2022. But I really want to know, your answer to this question and that is what is your wish for 2025 when it comes to humanizing the workplace and removing the fear around DEI?
3: So at Matthew Reynolds Consulting and Crafting Your Own Equity Lens, Mm -hmm. the the thing behind the equity lens is that we are not doing this work for ourselves. We are listening to our indigenous brothers and sisters and we're looking seven generations from now. What are we leaving seven generations from now? What tools are we leaving so that those generations from now aren't picking up really heavy tools and utilizing them? My biggest wish is that they're looking at these tools and and looking at the history of it while it's in some museum somewhere with some big huge holograph and all that kind of stuff with it. Um, But in 2035, I would see that we're on our way there. This work yeah. is just starting, as Natty was saying. And and I my generation probably isn't going to see the massive um, benefits of doing this work. But that's my goal, is I want people, humanity to grow. I want to shift the consciousness of humanity so that we get back to the humanization of us, that we right. are human beings and that we're not this whole cog in somebody else's idea and business plan to generate that they amass wealth and other people don't. I think we should be, in my judgment, humanity, we should already have those teleportation devices. We should be, you know, levitating and moving from point A to point B, two feet off of the ground, you know, through our our minds and through our meditation. But white-bodied supremacy culture kind of limits it and has a stuck on this catch 22 and we mm. keep recycling the same thing over and over again yeah. growing. And when I say growing, it's expanding. The universe is expanding out. There is no top down, left, right. And so we've used the binary too much to leverage and keep us apart from each other. A binary once again is a construct, good, bad, right, wrong, black, white, male, female. And so that construct keeps being used time and time again to divide and conquer us what if we went outside that binary it's a cute place to start it's something to look at but what if we put that third point that new idea that is somewhere way outside of it then what do we have
0: mm-hmm. so from
3: 2035 i want to see a lot more of of these new ideas happening and instead of going back to a dominant white culture's fix and the idea of fixing these things that we're actually coming up with new ways to fix these things as we look through our new equity lens and that's what i'd like to see i'd like to see a lot more new ideas being nurtured fanned and grown with that thank i'm. You.
0: I like that, thank you Nadi. Oh i'm glad I get to go
2: next. <laughs> Matthew, hits. A, Matthew hits, he hits a bunch of points that I totally feel the same about, you know, it's in it, looking forward, whether it's 2025 or 2035. I want to see the normalization of these conversations, mm. you know, and in that comes a space of like, looking at this work, not through the lens of social justice, as author Michael Bach would say, but looking at it through the lens of creative and innovation. What can we do differently? What hasn't worked and look forward using the generations underneath us to bolster it, inform us? Mm -hmm. You know, and the difference of opinion with you, Matthew, there is I do believe I will see change in my generation's time. And I'm adamant about it. And it's a major driving force. I'm also the mother of two teenagers. So that's a big part. I can see it through their eyes that it is possible, but we've got to flip the table and, and look at this through a really strong sense of what is possible, what hasn't been done and shake off the fears and, and normalize these conversations. Rhonda, you talked about leveraging. It's exactly that, using that leverage to normalize new ways of doing things, I think is powerful. In my agency, Accountable Roots, that's the main focus of it is to see the accountability become normal, to develop systems within organizations and leaders and teams and the whole package working with businesses That normalize these conversations for them, hold them accountable and just make people come in. It just becomes, um, we're no longer questioning. We've we've taken out the binary of are you and aren't you? And it's just a matter of yes. Okay, so how are you doing it? You know, it becomes becomes normal in the sense of like, you haven't done your anti-oppression training with your team what the, uh, is it planned for next month or like, when, what are we looking at here kind of thing? It becomes an absolute standard instead of a
0: a friction point. Thank you. Rhonda?
1: Yeah, you know, I think what I really want to see is a commitment. I want to see organizations truly commit and go beyond, um, I like to say, beyond talk. Right, Talk is one thing, but you've got to commit to action. Mm -hmm. Everything in organizations, what do we do when something's not working well? We know how to do this, right? Like the sign behind me, we've got this. We know how to make change in organizations. We do it all the time. What do we do when COVID hit? What do we do when when an organization faces any crisis? It's a quality opportunity. You measure it, you monitor it, you develop a plan for it. You're very strategic and intentional with how you approach it. This should be no different. Every time we need to have these conversations and we need to bring them forward and say, we need to say to the leaders, are you really committed to this? right? Because it, you can waste your money on a two hour workshop if you like. Sure. Somebody will be happy to take that money
0: from you, but that's not, yeah, but that's the one night stand. Point. We don't like the one night stands, right? We, we don't, don't like, like that.
1: one night stands. We absolutely don't. <laughs> Cause you know what? They leave you feeling kind of icky. Okay. Moving on. So, <laughs> you, know, you know, but we have to truly commit and commit with mm-hmm. dollars with yeah. actions right yeah. and and with infrastructure to support it great having the one a uh, di person in your organization that's supposed to do the heavy lifting for 5000 people give me a break really we need a team and that team needs to report directly to the ceo and the governing board we need accountability at the highest levels we need to have less talk and more action i
0: want to see true and impact. funding and funding yes. to and funding. do what they need to do. Yes, Absolutely. and funding. It yeah. has been a joy and a pleasure of having this conversation. Please don't leave the episode yet, or please don't leave the show yet. I'm I'm uh, <laughs> announcing, I forgot to say that in the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> I'm so hyped, but um, I just want to say that for those who are just watching, or for those who just are um, are waiting for the replay, You can always watch the episode of Let's Humanize the Workplace or listen to it on a podcast in a few days as well. But I just want to say to my guests of today, wow, my ears, my mind. Wow. It was just like, you know, the way that Beyonce says, having hot sauce in my bag swag. This was was multiplying everything that she has. it, It was the lemonade version of Beyonce's song right it was the lemonade version of let's humanize the workplace this was the lemonade version because I had so many insights I love what you all shared and I hope that whoever is watching or listening or learning from this uh, conversation don't lead with fear face everything and run thank you and until the next time Bye.